Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Um, just in praying, I, I know we've been kind of on a little sporadic journey. Um, I knew leaning into these days that it wasn't necessarily going to be synchronized in the perfect preacher package. I uh, wasn't really going for that anyways. Uh, just to be honest, man, my, my heart is on fire. I, I feel like I identify oftentimes with Jeremiah, who's got fire in his bones. Like he knows that God has shown him something. He's touched him in a way. He's denied him. Uh, or he, he can't deny him. And even in a prison cell, Jeremiah, when tempted to turn, he says, I just can't do that. Like God has shown me something. He's touched me. And man, his word is in me and it's in my bones and it's on fire. Um, so this isn't for performance sake. It's more so out of possession. Um, it's just, man, I, I feel the things that we are talking about so deeply. Um, and as I have been praying about even our time together this morning, uh, again, not to try to create some systematic approach where, you know, line upon line, will A and B made sense and now C is here. Uh, this passage in Colossians 1, I felt like, just kept rising in my heart. And in Colossians 1, in verses 9 and 10, really 11 and 12, Paul is sharing his heart on what he's been praying for these believers in Colossae. And there is a particular part of verse 10 that I feel a real emphasis on for us this morning. He starts in verse 9 and he says, ever since we've heard about you, now this is Paul and, and his crew, it's, it's him and his sons in life in God that are now functioning in what we would call ministry, which Paul just saw as the overflow of his life. He says, I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm no longer a slave to these religious systems and, and all of these things that I used to know, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a zealous of all the zealots I, I used to have, the resume. It's all trash to me now. You can have it all. You can burn it. Now the thing that matters to me most is Jesus. I've seen him for myself. He's transformed my life, and now I've given my life and the rest of my life to be radically aligned to him as a real person, not to some idea, some concept, not some system. I can see him. He, there is a man that is alive from the dead, and by the invitation of God, he has made himself available to me. He is accessible, and he has shared his life with me now so that I am able to know him and to pursue him for the rest of my days. I want to be radically aligned to God. And then out of being radically aligned to God, I want to be radically aligned to his purposes. And, and so it's both, right? But there's one that is definitely more important than the other, <laughs> right, right? We are lovers before we are laborers because God takes lovers and turns them into laborers because it is easy to be a laborer and not be a lover when we've determined that the value of our life is found in the things that we do. No, we do what we do because we are who we are, right? And out of being, we learn doing, right? We, we want Marys who learn how to work and not Marthas that we try to train to worship. 
We want Marys who learn how to work, those who sit, who gaze, who linger, who behold, who just want to know the Lord, even if it means not finding value in doing something, but finding our value in being something and beholding the something that really matters. And out of beholding, out of loving and lingering, anything that you say, Lord, I'm here waiting for your word. Anything that you would say, it doesn't even matter anymore. Send me anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll be anything. Um, You can trust me with anything, right? Jesus gets up in John 13 and he washes feet. Why? Because he knows who he is. He knows who he is. And, And he understands that his activity is not an assault on his identity. He can be trusted with anything because he's not defined by the things that he does. John 13 opens that way. He knows who he is, where he's come from. He has all power. He's going back to his father. And then he gets up, unrobes himself, and begins to wash feet. Right? He can be trusted in any activity with any invitation because he knows his worth and he finds his value in his father and what his father says about him. And so it doesn't matter invitations to do things that other people would determine to be humiliating because he realizes his assignment is not the same thing as his identity. Assignments change. They shift, they come, they go. And if we're seeking assignment in order to validate identity, we will only do things that create opinions that we want to subscribe to. And that's where it becomes challenging. Because then we limit our ability to walk with God in any and every season because then our devotion demands a context to bring it sort of back to Friday. Then our devotion demands a context. Well, I'll do anything, Lord, as long as people think it's important. Because I need the validation from their opinion because what you say about me is not enough and it hasn't really set my heart free to where I can do anything, be anything, go anywhere, say anything. Right? But this is Paul's life. And Paul is writing out of his laboring in the region. He's given himself to the Lord. He's a lover first. And out of a lover, God has transformed his life, transformed his heart to where now he's laboring. Right now he's laboring because laboring is important too. And in his laboring, he's writing to a church that he has founded, fathered, he's fostering from a distance. And he says, ever since we heard about you, we've been praying for you. He says, and we're praying, and this is important, right? This is important. But Paul is saying, if there's one thing that I can pray for you, this is what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? That's verse 10. That you be filled afresh with the knowledge of God's will. That it's going to require you being able to discern by the Spirit what it is that God wants so that the things that follow in what it is that I'm praying can actually be accomplished. He says, so I'm praying for you ever since I heard about you, that you be filled afresh with the knowledge of God's will, that you walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And it was th- this last part, I know that there's 11 and 12, but, but I told you there's a, a piece of verse 10 that I really felt branded in my heart for us this morning. And it was that statement, increasing in the knowledge of God. 
I feel as if there's a very real invitation from the Lord to our hearts this morning by the work of his spirit in our midst to give our lives to the ongoing journey and adventure of increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. To actually know him. And to know him in a deep and deeper way for ourselves. And to be possessed by the vision of God himself and to see him rightly. Because until we see him rightly, we cannot respond appropriately. Because he is not who we want him to be, although at times our ideas of him may align with who he actually is. He just is not trying to be anything or everything that we think or demand our God should be. But he is who he is, and it's important that we give our lives to the ongoing journey to know him as he is. So that we are not compromising our assumed knowledge of him by things that we've learned to do over time. Because the two are not the same thing. Right? And if Matthew 7 reveals anything to us, it reveals that those of us who don't actually have intimacy will always point to activity as a way to validate our lives. Think about this. They're standing before Jesus at the end of the age. It is the most important conversation any of us are ever going to have. I promise you that. Any of us. And in the moment where the question is asked as to what is supposed to validate or how they are going to authenticate the experience of their lives, this is the question. What is it at the end of the age that is going to determine whether or not we hear well done? What is it? What is it? that God is after? What is he cultivating? What is he using the experience of your life in order to develop so that when we see him as he is at the end of the age, we can enter into his reward? Because this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, and he's quoting Isaiah, as a matter of fact. We get it. He says, if any man would come, let him first deny himself, shoulder his cross, follow after me. But he says, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world? And in the end of it all, to forfeit his soul. For there will be those who are going to try to protect and preserve. And will end up losing in the end. Protect and preserve. Protect and preserve the idea of what they think they want their life to be. Protect and preserve the image. Protect and preserve the things that they value. Protect and preserve the opinions and the applause and all the accolades of the world system. There will be those that wrestle their life trying to protect their life and the idea of what they want their life to be. But in the end, they're going to lose. He said, but there's going to be a company of people whose hearts have been touched. Who are going to be willing to lose all things for my sake and for this gospel. And they're gonna be the ones that truly come alive. They're gonna be the ones that actually find out who they really are. They're gonna be the ones beautifully synchronized to me and to my purposes, radical alignment. They're going to be the ones. And he says, for the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky at the end of the age. 
We realize this 1 Thessalonians 4 charge that even Paul trumpets. He says, when the trumpet sounds, the lightning flashes and the sky cracks. And in the sky will appear the sign of the Son of Man. And he will come riding upon the cloud in all the glory and all the authority of his Father with a host of angels. We understand that the Son of Man will come riding on the cloud because he is the Son of Man. He is the glorified God-man that Daniel saw in his vision in chapter 7. He is God as a man. And he will come riding upon the cloud. And in Matthew 16, he says, to recompense men according to their deeds done while in the flesh and also with his reward for those that loved him and lived for him. And in Matthew 7, we understand that it's just not activity alone that determines the reward at the end of the age. Because again, those of us who lack intimacy will always attempt to use activity as a way to validate our lives. But there will be a people at the end of the age who won't just point to the stuff. They won't just say, well, I learned how to prophesy and I was accurate. They won't just say, well, we laid hands on the sick, although we want that and we want these things. We want to be a people who walk in signs and wonders, real power, and we want it to be authentic, the hand of God on us and in the midst of us as a people shaking the nations while we proclaim the gospel. We want that. But at the end of my life, I don't want to stand before the Lord and point to stuff. I don't want to say, well, man, I, I, I laid hands on the sick. Man, I casted out devils. Man, I raised the dead. And have to hear him say, but I, I never knew you in the midst of it all. You had a lot going on, but you never developed an actual love for me. You never cultivated deep intimacy with me. You didn't actually pursue or grow in the intimate knowledge of God. You gave yourself to ministry, but you never gave yourself to the journey of ministering to me. And we want to be a people who minister to the Lord. And Paul is praying in this phrase to grow in the knowledge of God. Man, I sense the door being blown wide open this morning. For any of our hearts that burn, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to see you and I want to see you rightly. Like remove the stuff and the clutter Get rid of all of the areas of my heart that are prone to wander and to compromise and just to find myself busy with other things that don't even necessarily have to be bad, but the reason that they're wrong is because they're not right. And the reason that they're not right is because my preoccupation is with all of these other things. And I don't find myself preoccupied with the beauty of God himself. Man, Psalm 132, Solomon is writing, and he's writing about his dad. And he's reflecting on the life of David. And that's how it opens in verse 1, the remembrance of his dad. And as he's writing in Psalm 132, the, the idea when you read it in a variety of translations is that David had a burden that crushed his life. And this is what Solomon is writing. He's reflecting on the life of his dad. And he says the painful affliction that his dad carried, the burden that crushed his dad's life, not burden in a negative way, 
Not painful affliction in a way that's wrong or a way that's negative. No, 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 no. This is not the way that Solomon is remembering his dad. But he's saying there came a moment in the course of my dad's life where something happened to him. There came a point. It was a pivotal moment. It was a hinge moment where my dad's life was going this way. And it's not that things were wrong. It's not that he was in error. It's not that he had fallen into corruption. But there came a moment where something happened to him. And he's remembering in his own heart the thoughts gleaning from the life of his dad. And he says this painful affliction that my dad carried. And he begins to write out of what it was that had so overwhelmed the life of David. And he's remembering David's jealousy. He says, I will give no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my life, until I build a place for the Lord to rest. He says, I will endure whatever cost. I will subject myself to whatever painful process because I've seen something. And what God has chosen to reveal of himself to me has absolutely and radically transformed the desires of my life. And now I understand or I interpret my life in the context of God himself and what he's chosen of himself to reveal to me. Because what he's allowed me to see has touched me in a way that is so deep that it's difficult for me to even communicate the lengths I am willing to go and the price that I am willing to pay. And so Solomon is remembering this affliction that his dad had, this pain on the inside, this ache in the place of his longing, that you can have everything that the world has to offer. Unless I can have this, there is nothing else that is worth living for. There is a supreme value. There is an obsession. There is something that is now ultimate. And I will do whatever I have to do in order to possess what it is that God has revealed to me. And he says, take sleep from me. Again, you have to hear this in light of David attempting to communicate something that he has in the place of his desire that is so real, he has been touched so deep, and the pain that he feels of not wanting to live without what it is that God has shown him is authentic. Man, you can't fake this. David is like, you want sleep? Take sleep. Up through the night, up early. He says, Lord, take sleep from me. Whatever has to happen, take rest from me. If I must, I will give no slumber to my life, nor will I linger in my bed until I can provide a place, until I can build a place, until God allows me to cultivate what it is that he's revealed to me. I want him, and whatever I must do to have him, I'm willing to give my life to it. You see, David's one thing, desire out of Psalm 27, even though I get it, it's bumper sticker friendly and, you know, meme savvy and all this kinds of stuff. David wasn't thinking of social media memes out of this Psalm 27 desire. This one thing I ask, and this is what I'll seek. But it starts in verse 1 with, for the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. He is my light. 
Ministry is not my light. Gifting is not my light. Riches is not my light. Fame and prestige and power and platform is not my light. These things, let they be what they be and responsible we want to be with whatever measure God would give us grace for, for his purposes and not our own. But he is my light and my salvation. And because he is light, in him we can now see light and see right. And because God had become everything to David, David said, I now have this jealousy. There's one thing that my life is going to be defined by. One thing. There is one thing that I'm after. If I am to be spoken of, I will be spoken of in this context. And it's not that David didn't have anything going on. It's not like his life wasn't filled with an abundance of other responsibilities and things that God had given him to do. We understand David was king. We understand David oversaw the greatest army in the region at that time in their moment of history. David had a lot of things that were happening, but everything that was happening had become subject to what had happened to him out of the way that God had revealed himself to him. David prepared a place for the ark and he became responsible for setting the presence of God in the center of the city because the presence of God had already been established in the center of his heart. And may God give us grace in greater ways for the jealousy that we bear in a private sense, for him to establish into corporate realities, for him to establish on public scales. David prepared a place for the ark, 1 Chronicles 1 and 2. And he brought the ark into the center of the city because it was what mattered to him in an ultimate sense. David was king, but he understood God was king. And his life had now become subservient to the one that ruled and reigned in his heart. And David said this one thing. I will live my life out of the understanding that God is the one that is worthy. And the Lord is going to raise up a people that will not consider it to be excessive to live their lives in response to his beauty and his worth. They won't think it's too much. They won't think that you can get away with less. They won't think that culturally it's acceptable to do less than what it is that the beauty and the worth of God revealed to me in my own heart has put a demand on. You see, because there is a response that is required whenever God chooses to reveal himself. There is no indifference in moments of revelation. Exodus 19 is one of the most epic accounts in all of the scriptures. God comes down and physically manifests and reveals himself to a corporate people. He comes down upon the mount in cloud, fire, lightning, glory, the shakings, the rumblings, and the voice of the Lord. And he physically manifests himself. God comes down. And they say, I don't really want anything to do with that. You can have that. We'll take this guy. 
give us Moses because it's easier to relate to him. It's easier at times to try and influence him, manipulate him because we think we're the same. He's more like us than what's going on up there. We'll take this guy, you speak to this guy, and we'll stay as clear from that as we possibly know how. But God longs for a people that will yield into what is being revealed. He longs for a people that of what he chooses to reveal of himself. We understand not a single one of us sitting in the room right now can force God to disclose himself. No one of us can make God do anything that he does not already want to do. There's no way to devotionally manipulate him. There is no way. God does what God wants to do. And out of his own graciousness, out of his own kindness, out of his own desire to possess a people for himself and share himself with a people, he makes himself available. And out of making himself available, he makes himself accessible. And as I've heard one man say, we have as much of God as we currently are willing to live with. We have as much, now, now I get it, like I get it, theologically we have the fullness of God. But experientially, practically day to day, the frustration in most times is things that I know I don't seem to be living in the fullest measure of experience of. And here's where the disconnect happens. But God is accessible. And God has made himself available by his spirit, unveiling the beauty and the worth of Jesus to our hearts as we look or behold the one that is chosen to draw near to us. And now God is using for himself. And when I say using, I'm not thinking like worldly terms. I'm thinking again, radical alignment. God is using for himself this family of new creatures, this people that are a new creation who have chosen out of what has been revealed to them to give their lives to the adventure, to the mystery, to the glory of growing in the journey of the knowledge of God. He is using this family to repopulate the nations of the earth. And they have given themselves to a way of life that best makes sense in response to what has been revealed to them. And first and foremost, our jealousy is to give ourselves to the Lord. That is the jealousy. We build our lives around presence together. We build our lives around presence together. And in every way that we know how, Jesus is the center. In every way that we know how, Jesus is now what's ultimate. He has radically redefined the terms and the definition of success now belongs to him and not the world. And we are these Hebrews 11 exiles and aliens 
who are the weirdos because we don't seem to have an ultimate interest in the things that the world does, but we've forsaken other lovers and conversations because of the way that God has touched our hearts by revealing himself to us. And now we are journeying together through this life, seeking a city whose maker and builder is God. And in that as it was on the day of Pentecost, right? Peter gets up to preach, Acts 2, 37 and 38. 37 says their hearts were pierced by the things that Peter was saying. They respond by saying, what must we do? And the idea or what's being implied is I just can't hear the things that I've heard and not begin to make adjustments so that my life is now in alignment with the things that have been revealed. That's the idea. What has been revealed is now putting a demand on my heart. What is being revealed is now placing a demand on the entirety of my life. And the only thing that will make sense from this point forward is if I set my life up in response now to what is going to best make sense to the things that have been revealed. I want my life to shout amen to what it is that I say I believe. So that when people watch me live, they can come to the conclusions of things that I say are most important to me. Which is what A.W. Tozer is known for saying. He says, you let me live with a man long enough, and I'll tell you what he believes. You let me watch a man live, and I'll tell you what he really believes. Because the idea is that we only really believe the things that we are willing to really live. And in Acts 2, they say, what must we do? We have to respond. Man, may the Spirit give us grace to respond to God's invitation to unveil himself to us afresh. To give our lives into the deep of knowing him. Into the deep of the knowledge of God. Where it's more than just the fluff and the stuff. Where it's beyond the current cultural landscape of ministry and the entertainment-driven model of Christianity and the celebrityisms and the politics and all of the power from a world system that ministry is desiring, but where we would know God and we would know him for ourselves and that our lives would be radically transformed by the ongoing journey of being baptized into the experience of the knowledge of God where our faces wouldn't be able to fake what the reality of our lives are actually happening. Um, Because you can't fake what's in your face and you can't hide what's in your eyes. Um, Because presence is not something that you can manufacture. (laughs) Lights, camera, action is not synonymous with presence. Political affiliation is not synonymous with presence. None of these things. You cannot manufacture presence. Right? Moses goes up the mount in Exodus 24, and then again in Exodus 34, 40 days with God. All of his own natural desires transcended by the beauty and the worth of what he was invited to experience by going into the cloud. 
And in Exodus 34, 29, it says upon coming down that Moses had to cover his face because there was a glow, there was a radiance by what had happened to him in his time of him speaking to him. Um, something should happen to you as you give yourself more and more in greater measure to what it is that God has revealed to you. There should be a consequence. There should be something that is experienced as a consequence of giving yourself in a greater way to presence. Moses comes down and his face is glowing, right? We get it, Psalm 34, those who look to him, their faces are radiant. We get it, Acts 6.15, Stephen is standing out in the streets and his face is glowing, it's radiant. But it says the heavens are open and he's got a clear vision of the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Moses didn't go up the mount seeking some face-glowing anointing so that he could take the show on the road and start having face-glowing meetings. Moses, it says, he needed other people to tell him what had happened to him because they were afraid of him because of the shine that was literally coming out of his face. Matthew 6, Jesus says, when your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. This is this singular devotion. It's this single eye. I want God and I want him as he is and I want him for myself. Again, we're not trying to piggyback a revelation. Man, praise God for those that God uses in order to break open pathways, in order to pioneer and pave ways, and in order to crack things open that now become available to others. But I'm not just trying to be refreshed from another man's well for the rest of my life. Not when the invitation to dig a well for myself is the invitation that God is giving. And there has to come a moment where we make the determination to walk with him for ourselves, to know him as he is, and to create history with him for myself. Man, again, I have the, the, the joy and, man, like just the humbling honor to travel in a variety of ways. And I get it often. People are like, I want you to lay your hand on me because God has told me I'm supposed to get a double portion of what's on your life. I want you to lay your hand on me because I'm jealous to carry what you carry. I want you to lay your hand on me because what God has done in you, he said that if you would lay your hand on me, he's going to give it all to me. And I think to myself, you think in one second God is going to allow you to bypass a process that has taken me two decades to die time and time and time again. To say yes time and time and time again. To continue to give myself in a price 
in a painful way to the knowledge of God when all of my own at times wisdom and reasoning is screaming at me when all of the opportunities of the world are telling me that there's another way you think in a moment God is going to give you what I've developed in the place of history have you lost your mind Reinhard Bunke laid hands on a young man one time, and I, and I feel it's okay to share the story. Reinhard Bunke laid hands on a young man one time who said, Reinhard, the Lord spoke to me and told me that I'm supposed to have a double portion of what's on your life. Would you lay your hands on me? And Reinhard said, you're going to get a double portion in a moment. And the young man said, yes, I know that God has spoken to me. Would you pray for me? And he said, yes, son, I will. And this young man got all like, oh, man, it's about to happen. Like it's about to go down. Like he said he would pray. And Reinhard laid his hands on this young man, and he said, Lord, I'm asking you to slap the lazy spirit off of this man that thinks he can get in a moment what has taken me a lifetime to be able to cultivate in you. We want to give ourselves to God for ourselves. And I can't lay my hand on you and give you history, but I can lay my hand on you and ask God to give you a hunger for you to create history of your own. John G. Lake said, if there were one spiritual gift that I could see manifest in all of my meetings, John G. Lake, a general, a powerhouse, a man who knew God and had given himself to the intimate knowledge of God and his purposes. He said, if there were one thing, if you gave me the choice to see in every meeting that I preached would actually become real in the hearts of the people, he said it would be this, spiritual hunger. That a hunger for God would come alive on the inside. A hunger to know the Lord and to actually respond to his invitation when he draws near and makes himself available. Beloved, I would say it this way. God has made himself available to you. And Paul says in Corinthians that now with unveiled face, in contrast to what they were able to see on the top of that mount, that we now, in beholding in the face of Jesus, have greater access than what they saw that terrified them on the top of the mount. That by the Spirit, the beauty of Jesus unfolding, unveiled in our hearts is greater than what caused them to shake and quake when God came down on the top of the mount. Oh, how wonderful to see him as he is and for God to give us grace for our lives to be possessed with a desire to know him. No, I'm not okay. No, I'm not normal and I don't want to be. No, I don't want to be the same. No, I don't just want to live with what's culturally okay according to relevant Christianity. You can have your Sunday morning Christianity stuff. God has made himself available. And he's not driving some entertainment show where 90 hours on a Sunday is all that Jesus laid his life down for. He's not running an entertainment company. He's come close, and his desire is to be known. Man, God has a longing. He longs to be known, and he wants to be wanted. Because again, he understands his worth. 
He understands the cost. It's why Jesus can ask you for everything because he knows what his value is. <laughs> yes, I ask you for everything. Why? Because I'm worth it. And all of what you think you're trying to hold on to, I promise you, if you would let it go and give yourself to me, oh, baby, is it going to be amazing. You think all this other stuff is good. Wait until you catch a glimpse. Wait until I give you a taste. Wait until I touch you again. Wait until I reveal myself to you again. You think that stuff is awesome? You've seen nothing yet. And now as a way of life, we are giving ourselves to the Lord and to one another to cultivate this reality of knowing God as he is. They say, what must we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. We understand, be saved from this perverse and dark generation. And it says then immediately one flow of thought, no disconnect. I know there's separations in most of our Bibles, little subtitles or chapter headings, that there is no separation in one flow of thought. This is the announcement. When you respond right to that announcement, there is now a way of life that is right when living out the right response to that announcement. One flow of thought. Those who responded to the announcement of God's nearness and his desire to reconcile all things into and unto his son as king, those who respond to that announcement right, there's now a right way to set your life up that best makes sense in order to facilitate the knowledge of God and cultivate deeper intimacy with him. And they gave themselves daily to a way of life together as a family that had been wildly possessed by God. God was in the midst of them, creating a habitation for himself, Ephesians 2. We're no longer foreigners and aliens, but we're now members of God's house. The wall of hostility has been conquered. It has been torn down. We are now the beautiful expression of one new man, a family on mission, possessed by God and aligned to his purposes. And as a family, our way of life together, centered on his presence and knowing him as he is, ministering to the Lord, we are now out of ministering to the Lord in the journey of knowing him for ourselves, we are learning how to minister to others. That's the goal. You minister to God, you draw near to his heart, he reveals to you how to minister to others. That's the model. And their way of life together, centered on presence, is what God used in order to shake everything in the place where he had planted them. Because that's who we are. We are a family that has been wildly possessed by God and radically aligned to his purposes. The church is a family. It is not an event that happens on Sundays. Right? I'm, I'm saying things that we already know, not assuming that it's not known. I know that it's known here. But we are a family, not an event. Even if my family hosted a barbecue once a week, you would never say, well, the Dows have just become a barbecue, by golly. You wouldn't say that. 
it would be absurd. It would be comical. Because the idea would be that even without the events that my family hosted, my family would still be my family. And whether it's a barbecue, a birthday party, a golf outing, even without those events or those activities, my family would still be my family. My family would still have an identity. My family would still have a value. My family would still have a purpose, even if separated from the events that we feel responsible to facilitate. Without those things, we would still be who God says we are. And this family, as a heavenly colony planted in the earth, is now living as ambassadors. They're living as representatives. This is the charge that Paul saw in 2 Corinthians 5. Ambassadors. Representatives. Out of God revealing himself to us. Possessing us in a wild and real way. We are now living as ambassadors. Which means that we are a heavenly people. That we are a Jesus people. Period. That we should see ourselves in light of the way God has revealed himself to us and our identification of a people that belong to his son. That means we're not American Christians. We are Christians that live in America. Oh, and it matters. It is very difficult at times, and people get very hostile when I suggest to them that they need to be delivered from their Americanism. That the American dream is not God's dream. That God has a dream at times that is confrontational with the American dream. And that our mission at times is going to provide unique intersections in order for what's in our hearts to be revealed as to where our allegiances really lie. So we're not American Christians. We're not Republican Christians. Oh my. If there's a back door somewhere, bro, like <laughs> the natives are getting restless. We're not Republican Christians. We're believers in Jesus. We're believers in Jesus. And our life has been planted in America in order so that while there's still time, we can grow in the knowledge of God and be radically aligned to his purposes while time still remains. Because God is patient, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. He's not disconnected, disinterested. He's patient because he has a desire for all men to come to repentance. And we are a merciful offering to the cities, regions, and nations of the world. While time still remains, we are a people that have been delivered from the world system, that are being developed in the knowledge of God, that are being conformed to the image of his son, that by being aligned to his purposes are announcing the gospel, meaning there's still time. Come out. The plan is twofold, internal and external. Internal, give yourself to the knowledge of God. Be conformed to his image in the context of family. That's internal. Because time is the container and the church is the crucible of how God is conforming a people to the image of his son, for his son. And then the external mission, announce the gospel. 
Paul says we carry the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. Pleading with people on behalf of the Lord as if God himself were begging people through our lives while there's still time, be reconciled to God. Paul saw his life in light of these realities. I want to give myself to increasing in the knowledge of God. And then out of learning to love him, learning to set my life up where presence is what matters, learning to give myself in consistent ways by the grace that God will give to exploring, to journeying, to delighting, to adventuring out into the deep places of who God is. This is what my life is about. And then any assignment that God would give me, he can trust me because I understand my life in light of knowing him first and not just wanting to do things for him first. Again, it's Mary's who learn how to work, Mary's who get commissioned to get up and go, and not Martha's who we have to train how to worship. Martha's who want to work first and then find time for worship whenever it fits in their schedule. No, no, no. We want our lives to be radically blown up by who God is. He's drawn near, revealed himself to me. He's what matters. And now out of that, I can be responsible to join him in his mission of reconciling every tribe, nation, and tongue for the inheritance that his son deserves. And how we set it up matters. And this is what Paul is praying, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why? So that you can walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. So that you can be pleasing to him in every aspect or every regard. So that you can bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Man, their way of life together, they devoted themselves daily. Hear that. God is not only available on Sundays. I know we know these things. I'm saying as Peter wrote, to be refreshed by things we already know. To remind us so that with fresh desire... We can be touched again by things that we already know and things we already believe. More of the same. More of the same. God is available. And daily they gave themselves to a way of life. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And their way of life together. There are 58 one another's in the New Testament. The idea is that much of what God has revealed requires the context of a people in order to see them lived out the way that he desires. You can't bear one another's burdens if you don't incorporate one another into your life. You can't stop lying to one another, <laughs> like Colossians 3 says, if there's no one else in your life for you to be false with. You can't forgive one another if there's no one else that's in your life. 
There are 58 one another charges. The implications is that one another is required in order for the fullness of what God desires to be on display, to create the provoking or the shaking to the nations that surround us. And as they set their lives up the way that God prescribed to them, giving themselves to presence together in the context of family as a way of life, God added to their number daily those that were being saved. Because he had a provocative, planted in cities and regions. He had a people where he was in the midst of them as a habitation, knitting their lives together, creating a dwelling place for himself by his spirit. And may we be this people. May we be this people in greater measure than we've known. And may we give ourselves in greater measure to the things that our hearts already burn for. I'm not suggesting that this is new. I'm suggesting that there's an invitation to go deeper into the things that we already want. That there's an invitation where at times like you think you've dug to the bottom. I've been here many times in my own life and I'm like, okay, Lord, here I am. Praise God. I made it into the depths. Oh, this is awesome. This is so good. And then Jesus yanks the floor out from under me. And I find myself plunging once again, hopelessly flailing in the beauty of him having to be the one that does it over and over and over again. Oh, you thought that was deep? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to yank the floor out again. And there you're going to be again, diving. Man, but I want this. Man, I'm telling you, with everything that I know, with what limited things I feel I know, because you know him until you see him again. <laughs> and you think to yourself, oh my God, like there he is again. And I feel like I've never seen him, but I know him. And every time I see him again, it's so amazing. But may we give ourselves to this charge out of God's desire to make himself accessible to a people. Man, if this is not enough, right? Like, for, forget all the more complicated stuff. Forget the, the stuff that sounds super sexy and trendy and all the language that's all like current and relevant. Forget all that. God has made himself accessible to people. God has made himself accessible to people. And here's the invitation. Come one, come all. Feast. I'm available. Here's the invitation. Come one, come all. Feast. Come and eat and drink. And buy from me. <laughs> come one, come all. Here I am for the taking. And I believe that the reason the Lord has asked me to share the things I've shared is because there is a people here that want him. Yes. And, and this is to, in, in certain terms or in simple terms, 
I'm trying to be a tank of gas on a burning heart. (laughs) Because I believe that there are hearts in here that are on fire for the Lord and on fire to be aligned to his purposes. And so to refresh you in things that you already know, may we feel commissioned afresh into the things that we've already given our lives to. May we feel a fresh sense of urgency and the call of God to himself as a person as he's made himself available and then unto out of being lovers, laborers for God, being aligned to his purposes. Joining God who as a person has become our dream and now giving our lives in alignment to God's dream, which is his mission that he is working out throughout the nations of the world while time still remains before he releases his son again. May we feel a fresh sense of being commissioned into life together as family, centered on presence and knowing God in a deep way. And out of this, giving God a people that want to respond to the invitation because of how accessible he is, let him speak to us and in a diversified way, establish responsibilities for us to labor with him out of the love that we have for him. May this be our life. And may we feel energized afresh to give ourselves to things that we already say we want. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.